Today, I'll be talking to Darren Ray, CEO of Fifth Step, about the General Data Protection Regulation. GDPR, the European Data Protection Regulation, comes into force at the end of May 2018. And whilst being over a year away, it seems like a long time away, but some organisations will have a lot to do to achieve compliance. So today, I'll be talking to Darren about what you know those steps are. Darren, over to you. Great stuff, Chris. Thank you very much. Well, um, GDPR, for those who are not familiar with it, has a number of standard terms. So um, it's probably best that we define just a couple of those up front, um, just to make it easier for people to understand. And this serves as um, good background knowledge anyway when looking into GDPR. So the two that we're going to talk about um, are personal data and sensitive personal data, first of all. And then we're going to talk about data processing and what that means. So let's talk about personal data and sensitive personal data. Now, these are legal uh, definitions within GDPR and actually within the Data Protection Act, which uh, or Data Protection Directive, that predates uh, GDPR. Yeah. Personal data is data that can be used to identify a living individual. There are common... Uh, pieces of data like name and address that everyone would understand identifies a living individual but there's also other information like bank account information telephone number email address and even controversially um, in GDPR IP address so IP address is the the number that is granted to you by your internet service provider when your computer connects to the internet that can now be classified or is now classified as personal data so any of your web logs or any of your website logs now will, or uh, post uh, GDPR, will fall into the scope of collecting personal data. Right. Okay. It's an important aspect to, uh, to understand. A lot, a lot of people will be surprised about that. I think there will be a lot of people will be surprised and that will bring a number of systems into scope that have historically been out of scope of data protection regulation. You're yeah. quite right, Chris. Yeah. Um, sensitive personal, uh, personal data... Um, is the next step along. It uh, includes information about um, a racial background, it includes information about um, a membership of um, religious of union or, or union, union membership, yeah, yeah. those kind of things. It also includes uh, biometric information, so things about iris um, scanning and fingerprint scanning and all that kind of information is also included as part of um, sensitive personal data yeah. and has to be protected differently. Now, interestingly enough, GPS, so that's location data, is also considered to be sensitive personal data. Okay, okay So all of that kind of information has to be treated um, slightly differently, but you have to recognise the two and to be able to, well, you have to be able to recognise the two within your organisation. Now, the second term we said that we'd uh, define uh, was data processing. Now, data processing to some people will be, uh, you know, the actual running the data, doing something with the data. But actually, under the terms of GDPR, anything that you do with the data, including storing data, is actually um, included uh, within that uh, remit. So yeah. processing includes the collection of data, includes the running of reports, it includes viewing of that data, includes transforming that data from you know, one form into another form, um, it includes um, just storing that data on a hard disk. Okay, so all of that is processing. Yeah. Okay? Um, they're interesting terms or necessary terms for people to understand um, in understanding a little bit more about GDPR and this first step, um, as you uh, correctly uh, um, introduce it as Chris of you know understanding 
uh, what GDPR means and doing an assessment okay. within GDPR. All right, so that's uh, the, one of the first, third of, we've got through the common terms there, but uh, the next step, I guess, is, uh, or as I understand it, is in assessing legal requirements. That's right. So, first of all, if you're going to understand whether your organisation has to implement GDPR, you have to understand initially whether there's a need. And one of the first primary drivers for most organisations is, are we legally bound to do this? Now, for organisations within uh, the European Union, so there's 28 countries uh, that sit within currently. that at the moment, yeah. currently, yeah. Uh, 27 when uh, the UK leaves in, in the next uh, couple of years or so. Um, now, all of those organisations, uh, any organisation that sits in any of those uh, 28 countries um, has to comply uh, with GDPR. But GDPR reaches further. So if you are, uh, are an organisation that's based in the United States, for example, yeah. that is selling services to European residents, whether they be American citizens or not, okay, if they're actually based in Europe uh, and you're selling services to them, then your organisation has to comply with GDPR. So if you're processing their data in, 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 even in Europe, even if it's, they're not based in the US... Uh, so if, data, if the data subject is operating in Europe and you're an American company outside of Europe, you're still, you still fall under its scope. That's right, absolutely. So it's now, effectively, it's pretty much global then, doesn't it, really? It, it, it is absolutely global, um, and that's uh, going to be a challenge for organisations, and it's a challenge for some of our uh, US listeners who um, may not have fully uh, absorbed the requirements of GDPR up until now, or indeed the, the potential ramifications on their organisation. Right. Now, what I'm not doing here is giving you um, necessarily all of the information, um, you know, because the, obviously GDPR, uh, the the um, the legal requirements are quite uh, are quite long. So if you're in any doubt as to whether you need to actually implement GDPR, um, you know, what I recommend is you speak to your legal team, legal team and have yeah. them uh, assess it. But if you're within Europe, um, you know, uh, an organisation that's based within Europe. Um, dealing with uh, the data of European citizens, uh, sorry, residents, even if they are um, just your people who are working for you, um, you will have to implement GDPR. If you're an organisation working outside of Europe, uh, but selling services and processing data of European residents, again, you're going to have to be... Um, uh, you're going to have to be compliant, but seek legal advice if you're in any doubt about that. So the, the next step is assessing data requirements. So what do you need to do to make sure you comply with that, those kind of requirements? That's right. So um, as I've said a number of times, this is about personal data and about personal sensitive data. So understanding which kinds of data your organisation holds is absolutely critical to knowing, A, whether you need to comply in the first instance. If you're just processing data if you're processing weather data and you're providing that service free of charge to European residents, for example, then the likelihood is you won't fall under GDPR. If, however, you're providing uh, banking services or insurance or um, social media um, services, those kind of things, the chances are that you're going to fall within the scope of GDPR. So understanding the data you're collecting and categorising that data. Now, categorising that data means... Um, using your data dictionary if you've got one um, and going through understanding how the data is collected yep. where it's collected from and how it's actually processed how it's actually used um, and understanding the nature of that data so is it personal data can you identify a living individual um, from this data um, or is it 
uh, sensitive personal data? Does it contain biometric information? Does it yep. um, indicate a union membership or something like that? So actually going through and indicate uh, marking against all of your data, whether it's uh, personal data or personal sensitive uh, sensitive personal data. There are there are a number of there are rights as well, aren't there, under the GDPR? No, there I are. I don't know if there's about eight, seven or eight of them from what, from what I remember. There are fairly onerous criteria that, that need to be met. They are, Chris, that's right. And the uh, what that means for organisations is that they have to update their processes uh, to be able to understand um, and to react to those uh, those rights, to be able to offer those. So, for example, uh, one of the rights is um, to be able to... Um, or it's the right to notification. So if there's a data breach, a data subject, so the individual who um, who the data pertains to, um, has the right to be updated and to be notified of the fact that there's been a breach. Yeah. Okay. Um, now, the organisation has to have a, at least a couple of processes in place to be able to cope with that. Um, a, they have to have a process to recognise a data breach, I suppose, but they have to have a, a data breach process. Um, that will include, at the very least notifying the data protection authority who uh, regulates them okay letting them know within 72 hours that there has been a breach and the type of data that was breached and um, how much of that data was breached so it might be um, we've had a breach we've lost um, a million names and addresses mm. uh, for example um, you know that kind of uh, notification yeah yeah but that information also has to be um, sent out to those who are believed to be included in the breach. So those million people have to be contacted and told, uh, we believe we've lost or we've had a data breach. That means that your names and addresses have been uh, compromised. Mm. So you have to have those processes. You have to have a data breach process to notify the data protection authority and the individuals. Um, uh, and it's perhaps a separate process to identify the individuals. Um, as well. I was at a um, GDPR came up at a uh, seminar or a talk that I attended at the Lawyers of London building last week. It was actually an interesting talk about machine learning um, and how you know our machine learning algorithms uh, will be able to um, drive pricing and under underwriting prices and premiums and yes. all, this, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and the, the guy giving the talk mentioned what will happen um, very soon is that machine learning algorithms will be will be able to price more efficiently for you know for the provider, but it might lead to say your your premiums going up three hundred percent, but as he said, uh, as he mentioned that he said, of course, that might cause some problems with some data subjects or people because um, when their when their premiums go up, say three hundred quid or whatever, and you say, well, why has that happened? And he says, well, it's because of our algorithm. <laughs> I yep. mean, that's going to be an issue, isn't it? Because I, so the other thing that I understand under um, uh, the GDPR yep. is that you have to provide full information about why that's happened. Uh, that's right, you do. And you have to have a process um, to be able to deal with manual processing. Yeah. So Put it into a readable format, isn't it? That's the thing I remember. Yeah, so. uh, that's, that, that's part of it too. So you have to have a process to be able to deal with um, um, a request for manual processing. So in a case where uh, a premium, uh, to continue using your example, Chris, has gone up by... Uh, an amount. I get that that increase, and I say, "Well, this is ridiculous. Um, uh, please double check this. Um, you know, this premium seems to be too high for me." I phone, you know, I phone the people up and um, the uh, the insurer up in this case, and say, "The the premium increase seems too high. Can you explain this to me?" Uh, they give the explanation. Oh, it's just the algorithm. I ask for it to be rechecked. They recheck it, and it gives me the same answer. Yes. 
I, at that point in time, can ask for it to be manually processed, to be processed by um, your human underwriter who then actually goes through the process. Oh, really? Um, so that, that, would be a, that would be a right then? So that's a right, a no, right no. to manual processing. Now, no, organisations no, have the opportunity to say no. It may be that it's too onerous or it's impossible for that process now to be yeah. conducted um, by, um, you know, by a person. Um, so they have the right and the ability to say no, but it is one of the data subject's rights to be able to uh, request manual processing. So well, I imagine what will happen then eventually, that, that companies will be setting themselves on the basis that they just do manual processing. Your, your, your quote is being processed by a human rather than you know, an algorithm. Uh, for two, two tiers of... Well, for, you might, uh, yeah, I mean... Presumably. But if you think about that in terms of how things evolved through the previous industrial revolutions going back to you know our podcast about uh, the fourth industrial yeah. revolution we had items that were handmade and they were there was nothing considered to be special about them they were handmade and that was the only way that they could be made at that point in time with the industrial revolution things could be manufactured but you know they could be made by machine yeah. and then what occurred was a uh, a retro, a retrospective uh, capability. Morris, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. the ability to, the ability to um, have things that were um, machine made, but then things that were handmade had a certain cachet, a certain yeah, right. difference. The imperfections in them actually added character and, and qualities that couldn't be introduced by a machine. Now, if we're going to, I'm not sure we are going to see, but we may see, as you say, the financial services going down the route of well, you can have our um, you know, machine here's learning. our cheap algorithm, algorithm, you know, product, and here's our more handmade, human processed, yeah, William Morris type wallpaper, exactly. uh, insurance product. There you uh, go. Exactly. <laughs> I'm loving. I'm loving the uh, the pop culture that you're bringing. <laughs> uh, only uh, you know, only a hundred well, years. Be Warhol, uh, Warhol next yeah. year. Well, if we're moving 50 year chunks at a time Chris I'm sure that'll be absolutely fine that's all I can manage that's all I can manage my puny brain um, so next so what's, the, what's the next step anyway it's moving on well um, so uh, making sure that they've got all of the processes in, in place to deal with those new rights so um, uh, being able to deal with a personal data request as well Chris because as data subjects we have the right to ask the, the organisations that we work with um, for the data that they're holding on us yeah. and the interesting thing about that is it needs to be decoded. It can't say um, branch 15, for example. It has to be able to say, oh, Sheffield branch. So all of those things have to be decoded into yeah. a human-readable form. And organisations need processes to be able to cope with um, those kind of requests. The inter an interesting one I, I see here is a request for erasure. So that's obviously... Yeah. If we're going to move in 50-year batches, I suppose I'd be an 80s pop band. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I, do, I do think it should be a request for any 80s band yeah. as opposed to specifically a request for the Pet Shop Boys. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not go too far, Chris. <laughs> but what's the, what's, the, what's the request for erasure? Seriously, what's all that about? Uh, well, that's the, that's the ability for a data subject to ask for their data to be erased. Okay. Um, so actually removed from a, um, from a system. So organisations have to have the processes and procedures in place to allow them to um, accept that request, to judge that the person asking for that is actually entitled to make the request. That goes for any of these processes, you know, um, to identify the the data subject as the real as the real person. And then the re request for data portability. I think you've mentioned that before. That's a potentially a new and onerous one. That potentially, that potentially has implications for the aggregators, doesn't it? Uh, I think it does. Yeah, I think what we'll see is a number of aggregators. Um, 
um, implementing systems to uh, take advantage of this. But the, the request of a data portability, organisations need a process, again, um, to accept a request from a data subject to say, I'd like a copy of my data, please. And this time, the data, much the same as the personal data request, is a download of their data, um, but this time it's in machine-readable form. Yeah. Um, so the ability to do that. Then, having got that information in, in machine-readable form, um, I think you're quite right, Chris. Some people will then be able to send that um, you know, via, via um, an aggregator site to uh, a number of different organisations uh, to obtain a quote. Yeah. It's a huge, it sounds like a huge amount of things to absorb. If you're a CIO or you know, anyway, a leader in the business, I mean, they, they may not realise it, but this, this, this potentially is up there with any kind of like regulation or compliance issues you've, you've got, isn't it? I mean, and the, the, the implications for investing in your systems must be you know, enormous too, and people. Yeah, absolutely, because, I mean, we're, we're talking here about processes, the, the human processes, if you like, in this part, but you're quite right, Chris, you know, in terms of the system, pro, system changes, all of these rights, again, have to be uh, reflected in the system. So, you know, just to pick on a couple, you know, if we talk about the um, request for erasure, um, you know, how will, um, how will today's computer systems deal with data being erased? Some systems, you know, some systems that, you know, we know that, you know, that we've either used in our past, um, um, you know, our past careers, or indeed that we work with, with our clients today, many of those systems actually look to retain the data forever. Yeah. And data disappearing uh, or being erased is not something that they necessarily take kindly to. Um, you know, the request for data portability, exactly the same. Um, you know, the um, systems are going to have to be changed to be able to extract that data in a, an industry standard format where that exists um, today, then uh, obviously people will implement it in that format today. But I suspect that initially there's going to be lots of extracts that are going to be performed in you know standard formats, you know XML and yeah. um, CSV files and things like that will be um, very popular. It sounds to me like this is almost like a, I hate to use this term. You're probably going to shoot me for it, but it's a bit like Y2K, but on a, <laughs> on a much, but on a sort of a tangible scale. I mean, in a, in a, in a way that this, obviously this is going to require huge changes, and anyone can see that. But would you say it's up there in terms of you know the, the, the scale of or the, or the fears that people are going to have within an organisation? Well, I think there's certainly a lot of fear, and some of that, Chris, is being spread by by less reputable. Um, organisations who, yeah. you know, uh, are you know constantly talking about, oh, oh you're going to face, you know, up to twenty million euros in fines and things like that. Now, those fines are real. Those fines are uh, documented and legislated as part of four percent of the turnover, yeah, four percent of annual turnover, uh, annual turnover, whichever is the greater. Yeah. So those figures are are actually there and they are actually real. But GDPR is really an opportunity to improve efficiency and um, make changes that just adhere to best practice around data protection, around modern data protection. Yes, it can be onerous, and many organisations would choose to, um, not, to not do it at this point in time, I'm sure. However, if it's done in a proportional way, and it's uh, proportionate to the risk, and it's proportionate to the type of data you're holding, and to the geographic locations you're working in, all of these things that we're you know, with laying out in this uh, in this podcast, really, if you're doing all of those things, then actually you can get a large amount of benefit from doing this as well, and the ongoing respect, you know, uh, and 
um, yeah, respect of your clients uh, or of well, it's uh, those a potential value product. add, I suppose, in terms of like what you, what, the, what you can add to your customer experience or to customers' experience. Yeah, I mean, there's opportunities to uh, certainly opportunities to change the customer experience and to help um, help those individuals understand what it is you're doing with their data and being very clear about uh, what you're doing. So, having that uh, purpose. Um, you know, documented purpose for the data for the collection of the data, part yeah. of GDPR requirements too. Um, making sure that you're gathering um, transparent consent for the data uh, and for the use of the data in the way that you that you're uh, collecting it. So, if you're collecting it to use your example, Chris, for a, an insurance policy, um, that you're then not using it just to market to them, you yeah. know, market information to them. If you, however, tell um, you know, inform. Uh, the data subject to the outset and give them the opportunity to opt out of any marketing, you can ask them at that point in time, we want to market information to you and keep you updated on other other uh, policies or type of policy that you may be interested in. As long as you give them the opportunity to opt out of that, that's perfectly fine. If they consent to that, then you can use the data for two purposes. Well, it's going to be a differentiator as well, even three or four years down the line, because data is going to drive so many things in society and people who are actually ahead of the curve Anyone who's actually got their data processes in place, it's going to have, a, and people who haven't thought about theirs properly, they're going to suffer, aren't they? I mean, every, everything we do is driven by data now. Yeah, uh, very, uh, very, very true, Chris. And you know, whilst the European Union is um, very, I was going to say uh, first, they aren't necessarily first to this uh, point, but they're earlier in the in the race, if you like. Yeah. Other countries and other regulators are looking in the same direction. Are they? What um, about, say, we've talked about the US and Europe, what about, say, the Asian regulators, say, the Chinese regulators? I mean, is there something on their radar? China, not so much at the moment, but um, certainly um, the Philippines, for example, um, their data protection requirements uh, are similar. Uh, Bermuda, where you know we have a number of yeah. clients, they have their... Um, they have the, the equivalency, don't they? Yeah, well, they have the Piper, um, uh, Piper Act, or uh, PIPA, um, uh, Act, which is coming in force in June 2018, uh, which is uh, very similar, has um, you know, uh, very similar requirements, not exactly the same as GDPR, but very similar requirements in the sure. process. And NYDFS cybersecurity proposal for the US. Now, that's a big change in terms of the way that um, US regulators are starting to look at, you know, that, that's specific to those who are regulated in the financial services in New York, for yep. NYDFS, but it's um, an important um, change in the way that the US regulators have been looking at data. Um, and I think it's the beginning of uh, US regulators being on that, that path. I think N, uh, NYDFS will be the first of those, and then others will follow suit, and then it will go from just being in financial services to other sectors too. Because many, you know, many people I speak to in the US... Um, whilst they think that European data protection goes too far, they also recognise some of the benefits of, of um, data protection and strong, yeah. strong data protection and understanding that their data um, is being used in ways that they can't necessarily control or, or even know about sometimes. Yeah, lots of food for thought, thought there. I mean, obviously, um, it's May 2018, is it not, the, the G... GDPR is, is going to be coming coming to force. Exactly so, right. It's only about a, a year away now. We're in April now. It's a year away, Chris, and there's many organisations who are going to be thinking, oh, it's a year, we've got plenty of time. But 
that's really the part of uh, the point of this series of podcasts is to start to um, inform people of what they need to do and the, the scope and scale of what they may need to do. Some organisations will be very nearly compliant today just because of the way that they work and they're, they're following best practices already and therefore they'll be very close to being compliant. Other organisations will be further away and they'll have more work that needs to be done, more processes that need to be changed, more computer systems that need to be updated. Sounds like a lot of work to me, um, but there we are. So, um, well, inter- interesting stuff again. Um, thanks for your time on this, Darren. Um, if you want to find out more about the uh, uh, the GDPR uh, or any other subjects related to da- data or cyber or NYDFS, as, as, as Darren mentioned earlier, earlier you can uh, look at the uh, Fifth Step website, uh, which is www.fifthstep.com. F-I-F-T-H-S-T-E-P dot com. Correct. Or you can, uh, you've got a few social media feeds as well, haven't you? Yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, please uh, do reach out to us on um, LinkedIn, like us on on iTunes or wherever you um, download this podcast from. It really does help other people discover the podcast and it gives us a great opportunity to get feedback directly from from you if you've got questions if we've raised points here that you want to know more about then please do uh, feel free to reach out and we'll uh, by all means answer questions either in a podcast where that's appropriate or we'll come back to our answer you uh, personally excellent excellent okay thanks a lot darren thanks very much chris until next time